0: Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. The wider markets may be all that dizzy about a potential Federal Reserve pivot, but for metals markets, uh, the more important one might be the one happening in China a little surprisingly, we are seeing a bit of a change of tack around Beijing's attitude to the property market. And when you hear of 16 distinct policies to boost the property sector, signed off by the PBOC, signed off by the banking regulator, well, it sounds significant. And it is for sentiment at the very least. It's the clearest sign yet that there is recognition that the property sector is needed to pull China's economy out of a period of growth disappointment. However, I would say the view from the sharp end in China seems to be one of, well, let's wait and see. Banks, definitely, are to increase loan quotas. And while previous easing measures have been focused on the demand side, such as reducing mortgage rates, these ones are specifically aimed at easing financing conditions for developers. There's still a pretty tight selection process, though, for the developers that will actually qualify. And many of the private sector developers, well, they're still on the naughty list. Also, proceeds from the new loans are not to be used for land purchases and hence the new activity pipeline for residential real estate is unlikely to be replenished. We do expect improved completions over the coming six months, that's good for base metals, and it does provide a fuller sign that Chinese construction activity on the whole may have bottomed. However, we're not yet changing our demand numbers, uh, but we'll be closely watching the attitude of steel rebar traders over the Chinese New Year period. If they are willing to take more steel on their books at that point, it's a good sign the underlying activity may be picking up. Meanwhile, I do want to highlight one overlooked element around China property construction and metals demand. There's always naturally a huge focus on the monthly real estate numbers, and they themselves are focused on the residential real estate sector. However, the quarterly NBS completions numbers are more all-encompassing, and incorporate schools, hospitals, factories, and importantly, social housing and these are nowhere near as weak. That points to the fact that public infrastructure spending looks have gone a long way to offsetting developed weakness this year. And that's why metals demand has held up better than the headline property numbers we see for China this year. It's time for Asia Copper Week. And while the usual Set 2 in Shanghai is off the agenda this year due to COVID restrictions, Singapore is going to host this year's gathering. And I'm very sad not to be there in person this year, particularly given it is such interesting times in the copper market. In the last metal matters, I discussed the challenges at Cadelco, But since then, we've had the announcement that the Chukikamata smelter would be closing for three to four months for maintenance. And that comes hot in the heels of the announcement to cease operations at Ventanas. The upshot of this is that There's going to be more Chilean concentrate shipped to global markets and comes right in the middle of the treatment refining charge negotiations between Chinese smelters and various copper miners. Already spot TCRCs were trending higher, pointing to an excess of concentrate in the global marketplace, following the ramp up of some key operations and annual terms were already likely to rise from the $65 a ton and 65 cents per pound agreed last year. Now, I would say there's potentially even more upside, and we are looking at a level perhaps around 90 and 9 for TC and RC, respectively. Um and not only will the Chukikamata maintenance affect anode output, but it also removes a key acid supplier into that domestic Chilean market for 2023, and that in turn has potential to limit output at the smaller SXEW operations who were dependent on that acid. Therefore, there may be a second-order impact here, as I say, where we get reduced overall mined output unless miners are willing to pay up for imported acid cargoes. Just another headwind for Chilean copper output as a whole. Last point I want to make this week on the copper situation... Well, concentrate growth comes at a time of limited smelter capacity addition for once. Though we do know that dying on ferris is going to start its new 400,000 tonne per annum smelter at some point this month. Net-net can kind of raises the specter of a smelter bottleneck for the first time in over a decade where smelter utilization is maxed out and that forces excess concentrate to be stockpiled or forced offline via economics. We see the probability of this at about 50% for 2023. What's the swing factors? Well, level of mine supply destruction. disruption is certainly one. The other element is how much utilisation rates at existing smelters can be pushed. A few calculations here. Well, to balance the books, in our view, these would need to run approximately 400,000 tonne per annum or 2% harder than seen in 2022. It's not impossible, but it's a relatively large step change in a mature industry. I wanted to make a few observations around inventory in metals markets. To me, one of the most fascinating elements of value chains at the current time is the attitude to inventory. After two years of supply disruption, as we go through Q3 reporting season, whether it be retailers, whether it be industrials, inventory levels and downstream chains are elevated relative to recent norms. A just-in-time approach simply doesn't work when you lack confidence in your supply chains. Clearly, there will be some pressure to destock into your end. After all, consumer demand is weakening as inflation bites, and interest rates are making holding material more expensive. There is still, however, this underlying element of nervousness around. Now, contrast that to raw materials, where visible inventory cover is extraordinarily low, and not just for metals, for oil as well, and yet few seem to care. We're down to two weeks of visible inventory covering copper and a little more in nickel and zinc. Levels are so much lower than seen at the start of this year. And yet the price premium to the cost curve is also lower. So I suppose I get asked a lot whether this reflects high levels of hidden inventory in the chain. There's no doubt there's been some shift to invisible, but with heavy backwardation and forward curves, this would typically flush some of this out. Uh, also, as I noted a minute ago, downstream consumers are holding more inventory than normal. Though I'd argue this is playing little role in price formation as it isn't free flow inventory. It's typically unavailable to your other marginal buyers. In my view, in a world fraught with risk, the lack of raw material inventory is one risk which is still underappreciated. Now, to be clear, visible inventories will build in Q1. They always do with Chinese New Year. And developed world demand is also likely to be lower at this point. And that does make me a little worried about price action into the first quarter. But with supply risk high and China improving, well, the second quarter may see us right back at acutely low levels. Meanwhile, even if demand disappoints, in classical economics, the first action in any surplus market is to replenish low inventories. Of course, the first stage in a deficit is to run down excess inventories. Thus, even in a weaker demand environment, we wouldn't need to cut supply until inventory levels are rebuilt. And for metals, I would also add to this the need to rebuild China SRB stocks following the 2021 selldown. One 2022 development, which has potential to shake things up in metals and bulks market, has been the formation of China's State Resources Group, or SRG, as a centralised buyer of iron ore. We've seen efforts to invoke some price control from China before, or to set up lead buyers, but in a steel industry of over a 1,000 mils, it's proven extremely ineffective. This time round, however, well, the SRG has been fully funded by the banks and been given both explicit government backing and top billing at many industry conferences. It's a lot more serious and the supply side of the iron ore industry is still working out the playbook here. What's my best guess as to what might happen? Well, the first step for the SRG is a major data gathering exercise. Who buys how much iron ore, from whom, when did they do so and what price has been paid for it? When it comes to China policy changes, whatever they may be, data is always crucial. After this, we may see a target range for iron ore prices established, similar to the guidance TCRC level given by the smelter purchase team uh, in copper, which has in effect a similar role. In practice, however, it's actually formed of direct competitors and hence why discipline in uh, CSPT is often lacking. Setting this iron ore range, however, could prove challenging. There are so many conflicting interests. There's some brand sensitivity at steel mills, and at the end of the day, buyers simply like to control their own destiny. Moreover, the SRG is also meant to promote self-sufficiency and has a target of a published target of 370 million tons of domestic ore output. Now, it is as yet unclear whether this is on a 62% basis, which would be wholly unrealistic. But it's fair to think that the range would have to be set at a level to keep some Chinese domestic mines in business, which I would say is about 80 to 100 dollars a ton. Perhaps the easiest part of the SRG self-sufficiency target will be to boost scrap supply. We should see that. I'd also expect to see a National Iron Ore Reserve established, maybe over 100 million tons, in case of sustained trade fliction with suppliers. The other factor I would note that where we have seen Beijing try and control commodity markets before through contracts such as in thermal coal, the actual net effect has been a high and volatile spot price. Iron ore miners are quite right to be worried about the state resources group and the buyer concentration risk it might bring. However, there are still quite a few more details to be ironed out and we would expect producers to exert some influence over the course of 2023. Though should the SRG be successful in iron ore, well, we might expect its mandate gets broadened to other commodities where China is short, such as copper concentrate, bauxite or lithium. Finally this week, I wanted to highlight that at BMO, we are extremely proud to again sponsor the 2022 edition of the 100 Global Inspirational Women in Mining, the fifth edition of this prestigious publication. This tells the stories of the accomplishments, struggles, careers from women nominated by their industry peers for their talent and also includes their advice for creating a mining industry fit for the future. Uh, for me, a preemptive congratulations to the 2022 WIM 100 class, and I do hope to speak with many of you at the BMO launch drinks and the symposium next week. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions, just get in touch directly, and I do hope you can join me next time round to discuss more pertinent issues for the global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research, in tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at Colin.Hamilton. At bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit Research Global Zero. forward slash public hyphen disclosure.